my name is Maddie Marshall, and I get the privilege of leading testimony time this morning. Um, and so today is the second Sunday of Epiphany, um, which is where God showed himself to um, the Gentiles or to the Magi. Um, and so just this, this theme of God uh, showing himself, um, whether to people who don't know him or to those who do in new ways. And so, um, yeah, so we'll go around. You can raise your hand if you'd like to share something. If you're on Zoom, put your name in the chat. We'll call on you. We don't forget you. Um, but I wanted to share, so over Christmas break, um, just a little bit of where I saw God's, I think, just protection um, and his, like, all-knowingness and sovereignty and control over everything. Um, my husband, my family, we've been some of the people who've, like, matrix dodged COVID for, like, three years, and um, then we got it. Um, and just the timing of it all, it was over Christmas break. There wasn't anything super big, but we were with family. And so I think one of the biggest fears was exposing Andy's elderly grandmother. Um, and so uh, I'm just so thankful that like the timing of it, like even though it's not something we would have desired, like we got it, we were okay. And the timing of it was okay. And like, praise God, no one else in the family, even though we were like living with Andy's sister, um, and brother-in-law and their two little kids, no one else got it. And so we're just so thankful for God being so kind and for protecting and providing for us in that way. So who else would like to share how they've seen God, whether big or small, recently? Awesome. I'm probably singing the choir here and I can't sing. They, they kicked me out of the choir when they tuned the organ. Um, but the prayer requests that come through on the text message every week, do you have anything to pray for? Uh, I won't go into all the details, but I've been doing that for the last two or three work weeks. And uh, it, it works. And not only was it work for me, but in sharing with a friend, uh, Betsy had shared about her brother's uh, kidney transplant. Just after that, I found out my boss's partner was having a kidney transplant. So when I told her my church was um, praying for him, she kept texting me back, well, wh where's your church? And what's it like? And da-da-da, and da-da-da. And I thought, you know, there's an extra benefit to praying for other people, and, and it can be a testimony for you. And I've never shared that you know, with her before, oh yeah, I'm praying for you. And so it opened up a new avenue with us, um, but also a, a, a bit of a testimony that, you know, that, uh, that people out there know that there's people praying for them, even if they're not, uh, quote, churchgoers. So if you get that opportunity or you're wondering about whether or not you should ask the church to pray when you get that text, go for it, it works. Thank you. Amen, that's awesome, so encouraging. Yeah, who else would like to share? Uh, <clears throat> someone mentioned that uh, their reward was in heavenly places this morning to me. And that is amazing that somebody in their heart would believe that that reward in heavenly places is there. It is available for you right now. Jesus is here right now at hand 
and his reward is him to be here with us. And I just need to be reminded of that myself, so. Amen, thank you for that. Yeah, it's a good word. Who else would like to share? Well, I just want to show everybody. <laughs> this is um, this is baby girl Noah, and I just I felt compelled to share because um, I mean it's just been a real journey with her. She was a surprise. Um, I remember telling a friend uh, back when I found out I was pregnant that it felt like an immaculate conception because <laughs> we thought that um, that babies weren't coming anymore. And um, and then the pregnancy seemed to go on for like a hundred years, <laughs> uh, which was, I really felt the, the long awaitedness of this Advent season. And uh, as it turns out, she started her labor just before Christmas dinner and then fizzled out for the next day and was born two days later on the 27th. Um, but I just, yeah, the timing, just God's timing was really incredible. One, uh, we had, I lost my father in October, which was very shocking and, um, and so I really appreciated, like, even though we were grappling with the, the surprise of bringing a, a new life into our family, that um, going through that in October, we had this incredible joy also to look forward to. Um, and we talk a lot about how, like, Christmas time was my dad's favorite time to be together and and so it just was really appropriate that she was making her arrival um, during his favorite time of the year. And um, lastly, I heard we have given her the name Noah, which we know is a, a bit unusual for a female in the US, um, but I did feel like it was a name God had put in my heart for her. And then I had chosen just out of my own enjoyment for her middle name, um, Oh, we got a burp. Uh, so her middle name is Ellis, which is a name that I have loved since I was naming my first child about nine years ago now. Um, so we finally got to use it. And I, I don't know if it was the day she was born or the day after, my husband was like, you know, if you take the first two letters of her names and put them together, it says Noel. Um, which was not planned, but I said we could pretend we were that clever. <laughs> uh, but I think that was just God being clever and just confirming that he was in control and planning the whole time. And we're just so happy she's here. <laughs> Congratulations, you guys. She's so precious. I appreciate how you were able to hold the joy and the sorrow in the midst of that all. Congratulations. Anyone else? Hi, everyone. My name is Ron. 
and I've been coming here for a couple of years and I enjoy myself. But what I wanted to say was at the beginning of the year, I had stopped and I had to reflect on my life. You know, lots of the time we do more looking at others and thinking about other things, but sometimes we don't stop and think, how good has God been to you? And uh, 1977, I had a real bad car accident. I had, was pronounced dead twice, but God brought me back. And when I came back, the Lord said, you have work to do for me. So then I made up my mind, I was never turning away from God no matter what happened. And I have moved on and about 16 years ago, I got in a real frustrated, deep depression. And I went to the hospital and got help. And that night I was sitting in the room thinking, and then I heard the voice of the Lord. And he told me, he said, if you don't give up on me, I won't give up on you. And now I would have been married. I am going to be married to this beautiful woman for 50 years this year. And I come from a very large family it was 12 of us. And my first thing was to run away. When I say when I get married, I just want to be away from the family. I have been around people all my life and I was just like, I want some quietness. I met her, she was the only child. And the first thing she told me is, I want a big family. <laughs> and I said, well, it's your lucky day because you're going to get one now. <laughs> and I had a brother. My wife has always been good and right there. I couldn't have picked her and I didn't pick her. God picked her for me. And he showed me through the years why. And my wife, my brother, my baby brother, he's not, he passed a couple years ago, but what it is is he needed a kidney. And we were looking and everywhere, and out of the clear blue, she came and woke me up and she said, God told me to give him a kidney. And I said, I don't know, because you, you might not be a match. And sure enough, she was a perfect match. And she gave him a kidney. And I think about the thing that made was, I remember the day of the surgery. And I was sitting and I said, wow. I said, God, I'm kind of mixed up because I was like, if something goes wrong, I lose a brother. If something goes wrong on the other end, I lose a wife. So I had to say, what she's doing for you is more important than me. So I said, I'm just going to pray and watch you work. And everything worked out. And he lived about 17, 18 years with a, you know, a kidney transplant. And now I sit back today, next month I'm going to be 71 years old. And I remember a time in my life, I didn't think I'd make 25. You know, I was young and crazy. And I just sit back today and I say, God, you allowed me to see three generations of my children. I have my children, my grandchildren, and I have three great grandchildren. So I, all I say is that no matter what, in the hardest time of your life, just hang in there and remember one thing, I'm not quitting, not on God. Thank you. Thank you so much. So encouraging. Any others? Any others on Zoom?
I'm not forgetting anyone, am I? Okay, good. All right. Well, God, thanks for revealing yourself to us. Thanks for the ways that you have worked, that you have been faithful. And we love you and praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ashley is up for announcements. Good morning, church. I didn't hear anything. Good morning, church. All right. I need a little bit of excitement. It's got some exciting news to share this morning. So um, first off, though, uh, green cards, paper version in my hand, digital version online. If you'd like to get to know us or submit a, a prayer request, request, like was mentioned earlier, please um, please get, get to know us via the green card. Uh, you can drop these in the back of the church in a wooden box in the back. Uh, also, if you'd like to make a, a donation to the church, uh, that can be dropped in the, in the wooden box in the back. So... Um, those of you that are on Zoom and on Facebook, also feel free to check out the website and introduce yourself via, via um, the green card. Uh, if you're brand new to Genesis, uh, you can text us at, get this, new to Genesis at 94000. It's not on the screen, so just commit it to memory. So why did I say exciting announcement this morning? Well, we've been given the opportunity to participate yet again in the uh, warming center. So Genesis will be serving with four other churches um, for 14 nights to help provide a warm place to stay and for food for um, the homeless in the greater Metro Detroit area. We'll be uh, providing this for the 22nd of this month through the 4th of next month. That's January 22nd uh, through the 4th of, of February. And again, the warming center is, is basically just to allow us to use this beautiful place that we have to give folks that are a little bit less fortunate um, the opportunity to stay in a, in a warm spot when it's really cold outside and just have a, a nice place to stay, have good interactions with folks like ourselves and have food to eat as well. Um, similar to last year, unfortunately, we'll have a limited number of guests that we can support due to COVID. Um, on the, on the one side, uh, you know, we don't get to have the 100 plus people that we've had in previous years, uh, but with reduced number of guests, it allows us a little bit more personal one-on-one -on -one interaction so we can make, uh, make more personal connections than we otherwise would be able to. Um, but, but due to COVID, you know, we do have some protocols in place. We'll be checking temperatures regularly on the guests. Um, we'll be asking them to, to wear masks. They're mandatory. Uh, we'll be providing PPE and we'll be uh, encouraging social distancing. Uh, we'll also have this, the sleeping areas will be curtained off so that they'll be uh, kind of segregated from one another uh, during the night. Uh, we do ask that folks that volunteer, which I'll get to in a second on the volunteering, um, we do ask that folks um, you know, wear masks, uh, uh, vaccines are, are, of course, encouraged, um, but uh, we do ask that you wear masks as well as the guests. So um, this year, similar to the last couple of years, uh, we have the weekend day program. And this year, we're actually extending it to start next Sunday on the 22nd. So the guests will be arriving very early in the morning. So they will be here during uh, the church service. We're encouraging them to come to the service. It's not mandatory for them, but we're encouraging, encouraging them to come to the service. Um, but for those of us, whether or not you're participating in the, in the warming center from a volunteer standpoint, we are asking that uh, folks wear masks. Um, again, we're trying to provide a safe place for, for the guests. Um, and so there's a high likelihood, uh, maybe not high, but there's a likelihood that we will have uh, COVID positive guests in the building or could have. Uh, so we wanna ask that folks wear masks uh, so that you know your, yourselves are protected. And also if you're 
here with uh, asymptomatic uh, COVID, um, you know, we're protecting the guests as well. So again, it's, it's for our own safety, for the guest safety, we would ask that, that folks are, are wearing masks when you're in the church next Sunday and the following Sundays. Um, if you're uh, uncomfortable with that, we of course have Zoom and Facebook, so you can feel free to attend the service online. So I do wanna thank everyone that has signed up to volunteer over these next few weeks to date, but we still have a lot of open spots in various capacities. So uh, if you didn't see all the signs in the, on the way in, there's little boxes with uh, dry erase marker numbers on them. Those are the open spots that we still have. So we encourage folks to, to go online and, and uh, volunteer. This is a really good opportunity to, to serve the community. Um, specifically, we're looking for uh, weekend daytime hosts. Uh, we have uh, spots for three people to help guests uh, next Sunday morning, as I mentioned, coming in at 6.30 a.m. and leaving at 1.30 p.m. Again, that's just to help uh, before and during the service. And we're looking for one more person uh, to work next Sunday afternoon after church at 1.15 to about 6.45 p.m. That's 1.15 p.m., not a.m. Uh, so in addition to uh, extending the weekend day program, we're also providing transportation for the guests. Uh, so we're looking for uh, folks that can transport, um, we're looking for four or more drivers to transport uh, about three guests each trip. And it's uh, from about 13 in Crooks to Genesis every day, uh, 6.15, uh, or excuse me, not every day, 6.15 a.m. next Sunday. So looking for folks that might have room to, to transport guests. And then finally, overnight hosts are really one of the most critical positions that we have in this program. So that's Staying overnight with the, with the guests, um, helping them out if they need something, uh, providing some some security, that kind of stuff. And um, these include there's there's a couple shifts. Um, the first shift on Monday, January 30, uh, excuse me, 23rd, and Tuesday, January 24th. Um, we also need second shift volunteers on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And really, the only difficulty with this is getting up out of bed at 1:45 a.m. and coming in. But the actual work is pretty easy. Again, you're probably just going to find yourself sitting in the lobby, maybe messing on your phone and talking to the occasional guest that, that uh, can't sleep overnight. So all these signups can be done online. Again, I mentioned the poster boards out in the front lobby so you can see that the types of things that we're looking for volunteers on. But, um, so if you are volunteering, have volunteered, or even considering volunteering, one thing that's very important is we do have a mandatory training after service today. That's today. Sunday, January 15th, and it starts at 1.30 p.m., and it'll take about an hour. So pretty, pretty straightforward. We'll just tell you uh, kind of how the things will run, give you some helpful tips and tricks, and so on and so forth. So if you're not able to attend in per person, it'll obviously be on, on Zoom as well. So um, if you didn't get the, the link via email, please um, you know, stop by or uh, check us out at the boards after service. Myself and some others will be there helping folks out. So um, still looking for all kinds of positions. We have daytime hosts. We have a, a shower truck that comes in some of the evenings. So volunteers to help with that, uh, set up and tear down. Uh, these folks aren't necessarily uh, required to attend a training, but everybody is encouraged to come. So if you have any questions, come see myself or others. We'll be by the by the uh, boards after service. So. Um, again, we can only do this with the support and help of everybody in this room, others in the community. This is a really good opportunity to, to serve the community, and, and we appreciate everybody who signed up or is considering signing up. And this is a really, really good opportunity to, uh, to kind of give back to the community and show God's love. So take a break. All right. Uh, so 
I'll stop now. We're ready to release the middle schoolers and for connection time, but um, we've got an interesting day tomorrow celebrating Martin Luther King's birthday and it's gonna be a fun song that's gonna be playing during connection time. Fun fact, Stevie Wonder actually uh, wrote this song to help promote uh, Dr. King's birthday being a, a national holiday. So as you're dancing, remember that and remember the civil rights movement. So.
have these little very convenient little communion things connected together so we've got a little bin up here if somebody Andrew if you want to do you want to hand these out to some people and we have another box of them right there by that camera tripod and we have another little pocket of them in the back too so we want to encourage you today we're going to take communion together and if you're on Zoom or on Facebook or any of the online grab a piece of bread grab something to drink so that you can join with us and the millions of others who are gathering around this world, regardlessly at different moments, but remembering Jesus. So again, good morning. What an awesome morning. As Maddie shared, we're in the season of epiphany which I'm still learning about the church calendar historically, and there's lots of different changes within that. But it's a season of recognizing God with us. And also, tomorrow, we're celebrating as a country, and like it was 1985 or 86, that the country recognized the legacy and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and made it a national holiday to be recognized all over the United States. We pause to remember that this was a servant of Jesus, a pastor in a local community who put his life at risk for the good of others. His main aim was after racism, poverty, and militarism. And he opened up his mouth and invited all the others to live like Jesus. So today with that, I wanted to reflect on one of Dr. King's sermons. And you can read and listen to and hear Dr. King. He would have been 94 this year had not his life been taken from him and he lived to be 94. Uh, there's a book called Strength to Love, which his wife captured 16 of his sermons, in which I want to use one of those in the context of it today for us. As, as we enter in. And so, yes, we're listening to some ideas and thoughts that were inspired by Dr. King, but Dr. King was inspired by Jesus and drew the people of his time back to Jesus again and again and again. And his message was not very popular in that day. His daughter finds it incredibly ironic that many of the people who hated him quote him and build statues for him. But the FBI followed him. Our country hated him. He was considered a communist. He, he was hated. He was not 
popular. It was not popular to follow him, quote him, or go there. He was on the margins. And for many of you who lived during that time, you know the conversations that potentially had around your dinner table and in your classrooms and schools and churches. So we take notice of that only as a reflection for our own day and perspectives for us and to enter that with humility and, and to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and to know every generation has blind spots. Every generation is locked in their own perspectives and their own way of seeing things. And maybe by the grace of God, we would have eyes to see something fresh, that we would be awakened to the life of Jesus. So with that, I always ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to help me see the beautiful truths of God, because they're beautiful and dangerous. So Father, you have revealed yourself. You, you have stepped in to initiate. And for those who stepped into that path of the life of Jesus, even J Jesus himself, who revealed to us the heart of God, found his life snuffed out by those in power, to those who were afraid. And that pattern is revealed again and again. So Lord, would you open our eyes to the beauty of your word? Holy Spirit, the great teacher and the great advocate, would you stir up in us that spirit of truth and of advocacy and the God of comfort? So Lord, take us by the hand. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The teaching, when Dr. King did it, and Dr. King was brilliant. If you've ever, if you've ever read or heard him speak, his, 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 mass, he, his use of the English language was like a poet. Oh, my word, he was brilliant in the way that he wrote, in the way that he spoke. And I, and I encourage you, read one of his sermons. Read the letter from a Birmingham jail. Oh, my word. Read the I Am a Dream speech, but, but, but read one and tune your heart to it today. The teaching that I'm referencing is one called A Knock at Midnight. And in it, Dr. King is going to be using a parable of Jesus. Parables when Jesus taught them had one point. And the parable that Jesus taught had this point of persistent prayer. To pray and to pray with persistence. This is found in Luke. And that's, and that's what Jesus' intent of it. But Dr. King takes the parable and says, I think this parable has other things to be able to teach us. And we're going to remove it from its genre of a parable that has one point, and we're going to pull it apart as a way of stepping into our current day and addressing the current struggles of humanity and also the place for the church within it. And we had that freedom. We were invited to put our hands on the stories of Jesus. And so we recognize what it was written for, how it was written, but we're allowed to play with it. And I want to take what Dr. King did, and I want to pull this parable and look at it at our current context and allow you to look at this in your current context and then ask that question saying, what then is the posture of the church in it? And so that's our hope for today. And then 
we're going to take communion. So the parable is this, that Jesus taught in Luke 11, verses 5 to 8. And it started with Jesus' disciples coming to Jesus after he had spent some significant time in prayer. And they said, Master, Rabbi, teach us to pray. And then Jesus taught them what we would know as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And then he taught them this. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, this is Jesus talking here, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep on knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So that was the teaching of Jesus. Shameless persistence in prayer. But Dr. King, from this sermon of a knock at midnight, says that this parable, as it is concerned with persistent prayer, he longed to use it to serve as a basis for our thought concerning our contemporary problems and the role of the church in grappling with contemporary problems. And Dr. King said, it's midnight in the parable. But it's also midnight in our world. And the darkness is so deep that we can hardly see which way to turn. And so that concept of it being midnight in our lives. And so I ask you to reflect upon that. Does that ring true for you in your current context? Is it a midnight of your life? Meaning, uh, it's in the time when most things are shut down. You have needs and they're not being able to be met. It's dark and you don't know which way to turn. Um, things are heavier, they're, they're darker. darker. As we were in Advent, we're in a season of waiting for something to change and for the light of day to dawn. And Dr. King at that time was saying, oh, it's, it seems to be the midnight of our lives. And he began to reference the threats of wars and just coming out of two wars within the last few decades. This was in 1955. And then we could almost say the same thing with the war that's happening in the Ukraine currently. Different kinds of infighting that's happening in Russia. I'm sorry, in Africa. The different kinds of issues that are happening all over the world, whether it be in Brazil or Iran, and the disruptions, the disruptions in China, and even in the United States. It seems like the majority of people would say, yeah, it's midnight. I'm in a midnight of my life. You say you're in a midnight of life maybe when it comes to mental health. It seems like it's everywhere that the flourishing of the mind and the soul and the body capsulating in well-being and flourishing of humanity that so few would put themselves in that kind of space. That it, it's, a, it's a midnight for so many who are struggling with day-to-day -day life either through anxiety or the lack of sleep or overwhelming depression 
or ruminating ideas and thoughts that never stop to bring relief and rest. And for many know that to be a nightmare, to be a midnight of life. Others find themselves in this sort of midnight when it comes to just this world and the situations that are plaguing it from the environmental issues in our world. I can't remember all the different names, what it's being called at this moment, right, for raising the alarm flags of what is happening between air quality and water quality and all of this. And, but the alarm bells are only ringing this and only going to get worse. And you know who's going to get the brunt of it? Those who always get the brunt of it, the poor. They will always be the one to know, well, yeah, their quality is going to be worse there, and your water is going to be worse there, and, and food insecurity will be worse there. Even this last week, it, was, it, it, it seems silly at some level, but it was the, the news of, even in our home, gas um, stoves. And that they have just have regular emissions of the gas as you turn it off and turn it on that come into your homes and that exasperate asthma and breathing issues overwhelmingly for a number of people. Anybody heard about that or catch wind of the gas stove? Anybody have a gas stove? There's nothing, I mean, it's not, you're not bad for having a gas stove, right? And, and the scientists, the people who are behind this, like, like um, we've kind of, we've known this. I don't know why it's caught wind now that everybody's like, yeah, it's bad. We were telling you for ages, this is not good for your breathing. And you know what? Um, if you want to change your gas stove, you can get an, uh, what's it, an infection stove or what's those called? They're the really good stoves. Induction, yeah, thank you, I heard it. Not the, I have an electric, you can get induction, but they start about $3,000 currently. Those are for the junky ones. If you get a tax credit, that might still help you. All right, you gotta talk to Kathy here. She knows what she's doing here. All right, Kathy, thank you. But, but, but with that, right, it's still this luxury for even these things. And we kind of know it, it's a midnight for so many people who are finding themselves in spots of not being able to breathe and dealing with asthma. If you want to talk about that, talk to Sharon Buttree and the battles they're doing in, the, in certain neighborhoods of Detroit where the air quality is so terrible from refinements and different things. So when, when you see from the Industrial Revolution for all those uh, advancements that took place, the majority of those are found in impoverished areas, and the homes around those are not worth much. And if those things tried to come into your neighborhood, we would raise living hell. It's the reason they're not in our backyard. And so some find themselves in the midnight of their lives. Is that true of you? I did not include all of the midnights that could be happening. The midnight of relationships breaking down. I have a friend whose marriage has fallen apart. He's in a midnight. We're supposed to grab coffee, and he's like, I can't. I haven't slept. And at that point, that text came at three. The midnight. So maybe you're finding yourselves in the midnight of your life. Something so interesting about being in 
the midnight is in the story of the parable. At midnight, it's interrupted with a knock. And Dr. King goes on to say that in his context, at this time in the 50s, that at some point people felt that the church provided, and when I say the church, I'll say the body of Christ, but yes, that also includes the institution. The institution. That the church, the institution, and the, the body of Jesus, that it provides an answer to the deep confusion that encompasses our lives. Now somehow the church is still one familiar landmark where a weary traveler can go. When midnight comes, it is the one house that stand, we heard it always has, in the storm. The house by which the traveling man at midnight either comes or even refuses to come. Some decide not to. But the many who come and knock are desperately seeking a little bread to tide them over. In the parable, it says that the man sought three loaves of bread. And again, the story was just about a man wanting to entertain guests, and he had nothing to give them after their long journey. After they had traveled a long time, they were weary, and he needed food for them. And Dr. King went on to say, oh, this is so much bigger than just just bread, but of the loaves in the darkness that we are longing for, is that some of us are longing for the love of faith. Where our faith in God has seemed to crumbled. Or maybe our faith in humanity continues to crumble. They long for the bread of faith. Or maybe you found that your faith for the future just feels so uncertain that you long for this bread of faith, which is this bread that would anchors us in the trust that God has us. Or that other bread could be the bread of hope. Even in light of so much progress in our world, with so many advancements, with so much good, that sometimes we're duped into believing that it's only getting better. But yet in light of it, with all the achievement, continues to reveal that selfishness and the corruption of humanity that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely so there's this great need of hope for our future the theologian and philosopher of Miloslav Wolf says that the that hope is about believing that love will meet us in our future that that's what will pursue us, and many are longing to eat this bread of hope. They're coming, wanting some bread of hope. Or they're coming for the bread of love. Dr. King saw that there's a great need within his day of so many feeling that they do not belong. And that the world was in an oppressive, impersonal place. And if anything has happened in the last 66 years or 70 years since this was communicated, we would say that has only gotten worse. 
and we're still longing for this bread of love to find there's a place we belong and to find true community, connection, and rooted in a family. If you were to say that there was a bread that you needed today, what loaf would you call it? Would you, would you label it the bread of faith, the bread of hope, or the bread of love? The midnight that I was describing, I was even thinking for myself, it's like, what's the, what's the midnight in my own life, individually? And I think we probably have one collectively that we could call, that we could speak out if we were to do that work together. But all of us have these individual midnights, some for the, my journey of mental health currently, uh, some being the physical health of Carmel, my wife, who's still just plagued with issues of breathing and going to the clinic this morning, caught some, some other type of virus. That probably seems to be my midnight, would be longing for restoration and the healing of my family. That would be the, and I would say if there was a loaf to eat of, it'd be the loaf of hope. That, that the future um, is not in jeopardy. Not, not speaking of this overwhelming, weird American ideal of overwhelming happiness and comfort. I'm an Enneagram 7, so I want no pain. And I want absolute comfort and beef brisket and ribs every night. Uh, which is not life. And so it's, it's the loaf of hope would be for me. How about for you? What, if there was a name to your midnight... And maybe you're like, it's actually well now. And there's nothing to be ashamed of that. If it's well. But you, what's your midnight? In which loaf, if you were knocking, is the loaf that you want to eat from? Does one come to your mind? A loaf of trust, the faith, Jesse? Take hold of it. Share it with the people around. Not to share at this moment, but I think there's a conversation to come. Maybe you are to share it since I dropped my glasses. After the knock, and they ask for the three loaves, we know in the parable what happens. The friend says, don't bother me. Go away. This is where Dr. King turns to the church as a prophet. And his message to the church was pointed and sharp, still laced with kindness and humility, but, but one of saying, your head's in the sand and your eyes are not open to the cries of your brothers and sisters. And your answer has continued to be, don't bother me, as your brothers and sisters knock on the door for bread.
And as he said this, he says that especially in Dr. King's time, persons of color were knocking at the door of the church where they seek the bread of social justice. And they were either ignored or told to wait until later, which usually meant never. They're waiting for the bread of freedom. But they found that many responded coldly or indifferent. So that some responded with a heartfelt desire to open the door. But in the end, they became more cautious than courageous. And at that time, and probably even currently into our own, one of the shameful tragedies of histories is that the very institution that should remove people from the midnight of racial segregation participates in creating and perpetuation of that midnight. That was Dr. King's indictment against the church. You should be participating in this work of allowing the dawn of freedom and social justice and kindness to be brought to light. And it is a shameful response. It is a marker of our time and of history of the church in the United States. Of all of the United States, not located to just the South. There were people who were wanting the bread of peace. But the church found itself either endorsing the activities of war or remaining appallingly silent. People were looking for the bread of economic justice, but then were just turned away. What would you say is what the knocks that are coming to the door today and the response of the people of Jesus in our society and individually. It's definitely much harder for the bigger issues of society. It will take much more work to engage those and to not be silent when we see them and engage them. And history has this way of showing the church being kind of silent. But yet, in the parable, the person continues to knock. Continues to knock. And just not say, all right, I'm done with you. I'm done. But no, knocks. And Dr. King says, oh. Why? Because he knows this is where the bread of life is found. Not, in, not purely in the institution, but in the body of Christ, those who take hold of Jesus. They have the bread of life, which is Jesus. And to have the bread of life in Jesus is just not in the, the eating and drinking of, of, of these elements. It's in the teachings of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, and the life of Jesus, in the incarnation, and the birth of Jesus, and in the suffering of Jesus, and in the death of Jesus, and in the resurrection of Jesus. In that is the bread of life, but we hold that. And so they knock knowing we need this. And so even though so many of us have been disappointed and discouraged that maybe when we were longing for the bread, we, we, we were disappointed and disillusioned by the people who made up this body 
in the body of the church globally. Oh, but yet there is hope. Because Jesus is so accommodating and generous and gracious to dwell among us. He has not left his church. Many still come to knock at the door of the church at midnight. This is Dr. King's word. Even after the church has bitterly disappointed them because they know the bread of life is there. Have you found yourself there disappointed by the church at large? This has been a hard season for that over the last number of years. It's a number of things to point a finger at it. But yet, it's about the body, of, it's about Jesus. That there's a people where we are actually these broken vessels that hold the life of Jesus in us. That's mysterious and beautiful. That we as people Long for this fresh bread of hope, the conviction that God has the power to bring good out of evil. And we are challenged to be that voice for those who are coming in longing for that faith and hope that good can come out of evil. And that in the face of guilt and shame, that we can go and lead others to Jesus who offers the fresh bread of forgiveness. The guilt and shame of our complicity the guilt and shame of our own silence, the guilt and shame of our own indifference. Forgiveness is offered by Jesus. The fresh bread of hope to those who are gripped by the fear of death. That we can offer up this bread of hope, of a life of immorality after this life, of God who raises us from the dead and doesn't leave us. And that death leads to this new dawn of life. Midnight is a confusing hour. And Dr. King says the weird traveler by midnight who asks for bread is really seeking the dawn. And our eternal message of hope is that the dawn will come. The dawn comes in our midnights. And this faith arises from the great truth that God is good and just. And when one believes this, they know the contradictions of life are neither final nor ultimate. And that we can walk through the dark night with the radiant conviction that all things work together for good for those who love God. At the point of this moment, Dr. King tells a story, and so I'm going to take us back into history as we close here. The story that Dr. King tells in this sermon is about the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. The bus boycott um, was perpetuated by segregation. And so on the buses, which were 75% filled with people of color, that's who used the buses, that's who rode the buses, 75%. And the way in Montgomery it was set up, they were the first five rows, and they were designated for white people. And the back five rows were designated for people of color, 
And then you had these middle rows that were kind of like once the front and the back were taken, that these were kind of mixed use. But if a white person comes in, you have to give up your seat for a white person, and that means the, the closer those seats are to the front, those seats are for the white people. This was, this was the way it was. And for those of you who know the story, Rosa Parks. She was not sitting in the front five rows. She was sitting in that set of rows that was for mixed use. And a white man comes in and demands the seat. And this comes after news of killings and of other terrible things. And Rosa Parks says, no. And she's thrown in jail. Imprisoned, thrown in jail for breaking the law. That night, the community meets and says, Monday, we're going to boycott the buses. We will not ride on those buses. We're not, we're not going to do it. We're done. Just for Monday. Just for Monday. Don't do it. Now, these stories aren't all good because Rosa Parks was at that moment, and one of the great failures of the civil rights movement was to empower women. And, and Rosa Parks wanted to speak, and she was silent. So, like, you've, you've spoken enough. And that was an issue at that day, where women were silenced. But yet, they throw a boycott, and they begin to boycott the buses in Montgomery. And that didn't last for one day. It actually lasted for 11 months. And churches pulled together to create a rideshare program because they knew that people had to get to work and they couldn't walk to and fro both from work. And so churches organized transportation. And they didn't do it for a week. And they didn't just do it for two weeks. That's what we're trying to do. Two weeks of transportation in order to help people to get to certain places within our warming center. They did it for 11 months. They were giving rides. And then the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, was like, okay, we got to do something. And so they get their lawyers in there, and they begin to pass some laws saying that the churches who were organizing these free rides were actually starting a business. And because of that, they were breaking the law, and they were getting to shut down the ride program that was happening at churches. And then people were going to have to begin walking to and from work in order for the bus boycott to last. And Dr. King and the people of Montgomery gathered to pray, and they're like, this is more than likely going to go down tomorrow here in the local courts of Montgomery. We're going, to, we're going to lose this and we're going to find that giving rides to people will be illegal. So they go into the court in Montgomery in order for this to happen and the judge is about to give his verdict and then all of a sudden reporters run in and the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled and said that bus segregation is unconstitutional. And so it was no longer an issue in Montgomery, Alabama. Now, there's a part to this story where we're like, yeah! Um, but that would be an allusion to what happened. Because a couple of days, um, I mean, the, the, the history in Montgomery of what happened after that fact is just as brutal and painful, even though 
that Washington and the Supreme Court ruled down and said, this is unconstitutional, this is not right, there's no longer gonna be segregation within our bus system. Two days after the inauguration of this that happened, someone fired a gunshot through the front door of Dr. Martin Luther King's home. A day later on Christmas Eve, white men attacked a black teenager as she exited the bus. Four days later, two buses were fired upon by snipers. In one incident, a woman was shot in both of her legs. And just three weeks later, almost marked five days ago, January the 10th, there was five black churches that were bombed and destroyed in the home of Reverend Robert Gates, who was a, a pastor in Montgomery, a white pastor who voiced his... Uh, spoke up against segregation and his house was bombed as well. Because of that, they suspended all bus routes for a season of time and then they, they started them back again. But because of so much of the violence towards the people of Montgomery, a historian says that by the, by the 60s, the same sort of odd segregation that took place in the front and the back of the buses was still existing because the hearts and the minds of people were not shaped and shifted. And so even though it feels like at certain times, certain like victories take place, it's like, oh, the dawn is here. And in reality, we're like, no, it's still midnight for so many. Dr. King didn't end with those, <laughs> with those ideas. And so we say, Huh, what midnights still exist where people are knocking on the door of the church and longing for bread? That we can take a deep breath and offer the bread of faith and hope and love. A costly love that might be rides, care, money, our homes, our provisions. The cost of love that would say we'll stand and fight some of the environmental issues that are happening in the places of poverty in our own community. That we will stand and put our voices with people who are being marginalized and have no place of belonging. That we will stand and that we will teach other white people the different kinds of racist ideas and ideologies that they still have and hold on to and not allow those to be acceptable in any kind of setting, that we'll step in teaching the people around us those things that we can learn and we can grow, even if people get mad at us and call us whatever liberal, dumb ideas that they, names they can throw upon you for wanting to learn and to grow and to point out different systems of racism that happen in racist thoughts and ideas and vocabulary. We can grow and we can learn and we can teach each other. And we continue to teach other white people these ideas for those who are open knowing that you might get labeled and ridiculed and backlash. Dan Buttrey, one of our resident peacemakers, continues to say, this is not an, uh, that, that um, when we continue to say we're not trying to be political, he's like, oh, so much of life is political. We're not trying to be partisan, but we are political as we follow Jesus into the issues of our world. And as people knock on our doors with real needs.
we are. May we know where to step in and may we have eyes to see how to walk with others. And so with that, we know that on Monday is a great holiday to remember Dr. King and his life. But his own daughter was just saying, oh, may we live that life. Coming against those systems of militarism, racism, and poverty. And we can do all that in the name of Jesus. As you know that we have opportunities for all of us to, in some way, literally answer the knock at midnight. <laughs> Let the warming center around the door. We have an emergency call list that is really answer your phone after midnight when they call, because that means one of the volunteers did not show up in order to care because they overslept, something happened, they got sick, and we always need extra hands. This is the worst of all of them because it's not one you're prepared for. It's a knock at midnight. We need your help. We need you to get out of bed and put on clothes and serve in a role. So maybe that's something to step into as it was a reflection on this teaching of Jesus and Dr. King. Could we be ready for those knocks at midnight? So we invite you to sign up for those simple things. But today, I wanted to lead us in some prayers and communion. Because Jesus offers us the bread of life. And so whether you're in your midnight or not, Jesus offers us the bread of life. And the few prayers that I want us to go through, the first one was a couple of prayers of confession. They just kind of just prepare us. These are, some of these are some more ancient prayers. I was on a prayer school this week and grabbed a few with them. And the prayers that allow us just to corporately confess that none of us are standing on any kind of superiority, of moral superiority from anyone else. We know our own weakness to engage, but yet we start and we say, forgive us, we have not loved right. And so I want us to corporately pray these prayers together of confession. Then we're going to eat of the bread of life that is Jesus, that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What I received, I gave to you. And then we're going to pray a prayer. It's the prayer of St. Francis. Many are believed were created by the followers of St. Francis, those who follow the life of St. Francis. And it's living this life of Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. What Dr. King was inviting people to do is to live the life of Jesus. And the pattern of Jesus was to spread out his arms and to give his life. And he did that well before he, he, he stepped onto the cross. Jesus was opening his arms and giving his life daily. That's what he lived with his disciples. And that was the pattern he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to pray that prayer together. So with that, would you stand with me? We're going to pray the first two prayers. And the first one is called the Jesus Prayer. And so let's, um, let's in unison put our voices out there together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the prayer of confession, if you'd pray this with us, let's pray this in unison. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you 
in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Jesus, when he was on the cross, being crucified and ridiculed and shamed, says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And moments before that, he was with his disciples and he offered them bread. And so if you can open it, I got to get my glasses on. We're going to start with that wafer. I'm going to get it. Devil, you can't stop me. I got it. Nope, I opened the wrong one. There we go. Yeah, take it. Yeah, go for it, please. Hand those out. Jesus offers us his body. Gives us himself. Broken for us. Shows the extent of love. This is a loaf. When we come knocking at the door for the loaf of hope, faith, love, and Jesus' answer is yes. Yes. He gives himself. So take and eat this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken, that lived and broken for us. Amen. And Jesus had a shared cup and said, there's a new promise. There's a new life that's anchored in the forgiveness of sins. It's in the doing of God. You'll be in the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, drink. This is for you. And so, Father, we praise you for your life given for us. The eating and drinking of this is meant to sustain us in the midnights as we wait for the dawn. It's meant to fuel us as we become others who comfort and encourage others who are in the midnights of life currently. The prayer of St. Francis is this reminder of the life that we have now in Jesus. It's a life where our arms are also spread wide. Here we are, fueled by your love, fueled by your body, fueled by your blood. Here we are. Let our lives, let us be the body of Christ that we would answer the knocks on the door in the name of Jesus. And so as our response today, as a part of it today, let's pray this prayer of St. Francis that is a mark of living the life of Jesus. And so let's pray this in unison. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace 
Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. By the hope and the light of Jesus Christ, may we be able to live this by the grace of God in our world today. And again, as we wake up tomorrow, may we again utter those same prayers of dependence to Jesus to live that life fueled by the Spirit of God into it. So may the the bread of hope, faith, and love fill you today, and may we share it. Know that tomorrow, um, the museums are free in our area, that you can go, and at the Detroit Historical Museum, they've got a number of practices and invitations at the African American Museum. There's a number of activities as well. Um, I believe there, um, there's a lawyer in town who was Dr. King's chauffeur, and he's going to be speaking at the Detroit Historical Museum. And they're also doing a march um, in front of Woodward. It was the practice march before the marches that happened in Alabama. And so those are different things that are uh, taking place if you want to enter into a posture of learning. Also, this coming Saturday night, for the people who came on Saturday to our soul care time, um, the, the group who offered that is called the Open Table Collective, and they are hosting um, a conversation on race and the Bible. And that's happening at Saturday night in here at 7 p.m. We're letting them use our building, and um, our pastor, Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo Swell, I believe is his name, is a pastor in Detroit, and they're going to be teaching and having a conversation about race in the Bible. That's at Saturday at 7 p.m., so if you're kind of like, I want to learn, I want to learn, I need to learn, uh, this is another opportunity, and so you're invited, and so may you go in peace. 1 p.m. for the training for the warming center, 1.30, the training for the warming center. Uh, God bless you. Would you greet someone and offer them your peace today as you go? Jim, one thing I forgot. I, we did have elders available to pray. So if you are in a, a midnight and you're just wanting some prayer, they might have left the room and I didn't shout it out loud, but I see Ben Hoskins and I saw Bonnie sitting right there. But if you would like elder prayer, come up here by the candles and I'm sure that they would love to pray. If you would like elder prayer, we try this a pattern. Sorry about that.